This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. Well, welcome back and welcome to Voices of the Peace. My name is Ted Sloan. And first and foremost, we'd like to acknowledge that we're recording this on the traditional territory of the Dene Zab. Uh, this is our sixth and last episode of the season. And I'm so excited that you're here. If you're just tuning in for the first time, this, uh, this video cast, this podcast is all about capturing the stories that make up Fort St. John in, in the area. Maybe you've hiked on a trail or maybe you've been to a building or maybe you've seen a park and gone, why is that called that? Or who created this? Or how did this even get to be? And that's what this podcast does is we find the people who have those stories. We capture them. We get to celebrate those people and we get to see all the trailblazers who came before us. So thank you again for tuning in. This is Voices of the Peace brought to you by Urban Systems and also Blue Wave Energy. All right, my next guest, uh, this next gentleman to join me is quite literally a trailblazer, and I'm not sure how much sleep he actually gets because he's so busy. Uh, He came to the peace country in the 1980s. He co-founded one of BC's most popular races. He's helped to create and clear some of the most popular hiking trails in Tumblr Ridge, and he's helped bring the world's attention to a simply wonderful pocket of BC through his work with the Tumblr Ridge Museum and the Tumblr Ridge Global Geopark. Uh, we've been talking a little bit before. He is also blazingly fast when you try and catch up with him and running behind him. So my next guest is Dr. Charles Helm speaking to me today, all the way from, I, I think, Tumblr Ridge. Uh, hello, Charles. How are you today? Great, Ted. Lovely to be with you, and thank you for this opportunity. Oh, thanks for being on this. Uh, I'm excited to, to ask you some questions. I think uh, I'm going to start with the first question because I was doing some research, saw that you came to Canada in 1986, I think, and moved to Tumblr in 1992. My question is, is what made you want to stay, of all places in the world, what, what made you want to stay in Tumblr Ridge? Yeah, so I, I graduated with my medical degree at the University of Cape Town in 1981. And... Uh, Tried a bit of traveling, uh, realized that you, you need some income in order to do that. Um, worked a bit in South Africa in the third world areas and then just realized Canada is beckoning and I'd like to come here and work here for four months, do a locum in Saskatchewan, earn some money and then go traveling again. And on day two or three in Canada, I met my lovely future wife, Linda. She was a x-ray tech in the hospital there. And, well, we never looked back. Um, We got (laughs) married a few years later, went back to Africa, did some work there, and then came back to Canada, um, working mostly in Saskatchewan and Manitoba. And then I actually had two of my classmates from the University of Cape Town, from my graduating class, who were working in Tumblr Ridge. And they heard I was around and said, why don't I come and join them here? And came and took a look. And as we drove into Tumblr Ridge for the first time, which was 1991, just to have a look, uh, Linda and I looked at each other and we said, you know, this is where we want to be and we're going to be the ones that turn the lights out here. And uh, that was a pretty bold uh, proposal at the time, but it's turned out to be reasonably accurate because here we still are, you know, 30 plus years later. Well, I'm... Excited because when you talk about uh, being in Tumblr Ridge, I mean, you've done you, you jumped in with both feet. Um, had you been, I mean, Tumblr Ridge is not necessarily the biggest place ever. Is that something that really that you enjoyed the smallness of it, or or was it uh, the mountains, or was it just it was the right place and it just felt like home? Yeah, it was the right place. I mean, for some reason, which I really don't know why, but ever since I was a a kid, I dreamed of being a rural family doc, not just a family doc, but a rural family doc, sort of on the front lines, uh, the buck stops with you. Those things just attracted me for some reason. And arriving in Tumblr Ridge, realizing in addition to that, the, the, the work potential, here I am in the mountains, 
uh, at that stage, it was still pretty much unexplored country in many ways. Nowadays, we've got all the trails and one thinks, well, Tumbler Ridge has got beautiful trails, etc. But in those days, it was true virgin wilderness. And I just saw the exploration potential. Didn't know anything about dinosaurs or UNESCO or geoparks at that point, but just the potential was so great. And, uh, you know, why would one want to be anywhere else? You only get an opportunity to come to a place like this once in your life, if you're lucky. And it sort of fell into our laps, thanks to my colleagues. It's really lovely. I mean, I, I was raised in the peace country and, and it is beautiful. I, I'm, I'm not going to say it isn't. Sometimes it's really nice having people come to the peace country and reminding you that where you are is just breathtaking and that there's not many places like this. So I think, yeah, it's really also, it's, it's really wonderful to hear it just being confirmed again and again. Um, I do have questions about, about the uh, Wolverine Nordic and Mountain Society. Did you, when you moved in, um, how did, did you join it? Did you start it? Um, what was that like about the Wolverine Nordic and Mountain Society? Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, well, at the time, there was a thing called the Wolverine Nordic Ski Association, and it was entirely focused on cross-country skiing. There was a very dedicated bunch of people track setting and creating cross-country ski opportunities in winter. And a few of us just got together and said, you know, Tumblr Ridge is too small to have a separate hiking group and a separate mountain biking group or whatever. Why don't we just create an organization that is Tumblr Ridge's four-season, non-mechanized, non-consumptive outdoors group? And we already had the name Wolverine from the, the Ski Association, and that obviously was going to incorporate skiing as well. So we called it the Wolverine Nordic and Mountain Society, Winnemus, WNMS. And I remember I actually was the one that became the first secretary and put in the application to become a society, a nonprofit BC society. That was in 1993. So pretty soon after we got here and then we just started having fun Uh we there was one meeting a year which was the AGM everything else happened on the trails and in those early days I remember one of the AGM happened in my basement here in uh, in Tumblr Ridge it was very informal but we got the job done and um, within a couple of decades we'd built more than 100 kilometers of hiking trails and I think it's about 25 trails altogether maybe 30 um, most of them fairly short easily accessible for most people and what a pleasure. Well, what is it? I'm curious. I've been on some of those trails and I know how much I appreciate it. What is it like to, to do, to, to make, to plan out, to, to go? And you say most of the work happened on the trails. Um, what's that like to make a trail? Like I don't, I can't even imagine plotting and getting the trees and things out of the way. How does that come around? Well, it's a, it's a wonderful experience. I mean, first of all, you have to explore. You have to work out what are the possible destinations, whether it be a waterfall or a canyon view site or dinosaur track site, whatever it might be. So you need a destination and then you need to work out, we've got to get there somehow. So we need like a highway pullout or something. So, you know, you need a start point and a finish point. And then you look at the lay of the land. Are you going to follow a ridge? Are there game trails you can follow? All sorts of questions. And then, well, in my case, I didn't know how to operate a chainsaw when I arrived here, so... I had to learn how to do that. And, uh, you know, then you just get a bunch of like-minded people together, get, well, you have to get permission, of course, to build the trails, uh, which was actually easier in the 90s than it is today. It's a more bureaucratic, convoluted process today. But then you just have fun. You've got a common goal. You've got a common purpose. And at the same time, I mean, I think the point is that Tumblr Ridge was in dire straits at that point with the closure of the coal mines and the, the looming threat of becoming a ghost town. And, you know, we couldn't control the price of coal. There were lots of things totally beyond our control. But one thing we could do was just celebrate where we were and create opportunities for others to come in and, you know, tourism, economic development through tourism, things like that. It's, it was one thing that we could do because we knew we lived, well, we believed that we lived in the best place in the world and we didn't want to see it disappear. So let's have at her and do what we can. And uh, it's just been very fulfilling to see how those early hopes have been vindicated. Well, it's, it's neat hearing you talk about 
um, you know, faced with a challenge, a community comes together and says, hey, how do we, how do we celebrate that? Uh, yeah, that must feel quite the teamwork. And you probably have some amazing stories and uh, some amazing bonds with the people of Tumblr. One of those things that I wanted to ask you about, too, just thinking about things bringing people to Tumblr Ridge is uh, the Emperor's Challenge. I didn't know that you co-founded it. Um, what, how, was that another meeting in the basement going, we should make a, a race? Or how did, how did the, the Emperor's Challenge come about? Well, we had a locum doctor here, Dr. Nigel Matthews, who is a great explorer, a great traveler, and he fell in love with Tumblr Ridge. He's kept on coming back you know, every year uh, for the longest time. He's just recently retired. But he just looked at that area of, of our hills and mountains and said, this reminds me so much of the Lake District of England. And he knew what wonderful trails they had there. And he said, and, and it was actually a thing called fell running, which is in England what they call mountain running. Fell, they call it fell running. Okay. And he said, you need to organize a fell run here. Just just like that. He put out the challenge. Um, and we said, yeah, that's a good idea. Just like you said, Ted, you know, sometimes it's someone from out of town that needs to come in and, and point these things out to you. You don't realize these things yourself. And we looked at it and said, wow, that looks like a pretty amazing run we can put on there. And we had a few false starts. We made it too difficult. It went over five mountains, which was just, of course, never going to work because it was going to be too tough. Because what we wanted to do was just create, it's, it's a half marathon distance, twenty, just over 20 Ks. But it's still doable by anybody really that's moderately fit um, that can train and can finish in five hours, I think the cutoff is. So we wanted to create something special for well, people from all over the world, really, but especially for people in the peace region, um, not something that's only going to be within the, the reach of the elite athlete. And, uh, you know, we have elite athletes who do it and do extremely well, and they're record setters, and they're on the Canadian mountain running team, etc. But, you know, the bulk of the participants are out there to get their bronze medal, not the gold or the silver medal, and just to finish the thing. And it does just happen to be in some of the most splendid, amazing mountain scenery in the world. Um, you know, we we call it the toughest and most beautiful half marathon in the world. Uh, but uh, again, we, it, that started, I think, in 1999, which was precisely when Tumblr Ridge was undergoing its economic woes and no one knew if we were going to survive or not. And here was something else which we could do. I think the first year, I think there were 32 entries or something like that. And every year it just got a bit busier and busier. And before we knew it, it was a thousand people. It was the biggest off-road off uh, run in British Columbia. And uh, we were having to set a cap because if we didn't set a cap, heaven knows how many, you know, the mountain can only take so many people. <laughs> and uh, so that was... Sorry, I was just saying, yeah, that just so wonderful yeah. How, yeah, how people responded to the challenge and made it their business to come and do the Empress Challenge. And, you know, what I love is also the number that come back every year. And, you know, we've had 21 or 22 of them now. We lost a few years because of COVID. Um, but many of them have, you know, when you've done 10, you get a special award. And when you've done five, you get special award. And the numbers that have done five and 10 are pretty amazing. Well, I, I was going to ask, during the race, do you, you you pointed out how people people go and you've designed it for lots, because I know that a lot of my friends who have done it, you're right, it, it isn't how fast you do it, it's they, they the pride that they have when they come back and they go, I did it, I did the Emperor's Challenge, just that that feeling of, of uh, oh, amazingness is there. Do you get, during the race itself, do you get a chance just to sit you and your team that helped create it and go, this is really cool. I get to experience it. Or on the day, are you very busy being like, okay, that has to go there. Uh, is it? Yeah. What is it like when you are actually in it? No, we're very busy on the day, <laughs> but you know, I've run every single one. Um, so I, you know, the sign of a well-organized race is if you can actually do the race yourself, that you're not running around during the race, organizing other people. And uh, so once that's starting gun goes off all the organizational hassles they they'll happen again when you finish your run <laughs> uh, for those and i mean i'm getting slower as well over time so now it's just time to kick back and run a thing and talk to people and have fun and see how they're enjoying themselves 
And all my, you know, so the run itself for me, for, for me personally, it's that's the time one relaxes. It's funny. Well, that's yeah. I, I've when you were mentioning the cap each year, I sit by my computer and I go, "This is the year I'm going to do it." And then every year, the cap is in before I can hit go, which actually just makes me very happy because it means that you're right. People are either getting a chance to return to it, or people are people new people are getting to do it. Um, so congratulations on that. Is it? Uh, are you guys planning already? I guess planning probably has already happened for this year's. Uh, good luck, I guess, with this year's race. I hope it goes well. Yeah, no, thanks. And, you know, it was very frustrating losing a few years because of COVID. Um, obviously, we wanted to put it on every year, but we couldn't. And uh, there's a new organizing committee now that I believe is doing great work. So, geez, we just, before we know it, uh, early August is going to be here and we're going to be on the mountain. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, of mountains and things, I wanted to ask you, we're going to pivot a tiny bit. Um, I want to ask you about, uh, well, about the other part of, of, of Tubler Ridge that, that is something that's really big in your blood. Um, you're, you're often associated with dinosaurs as well as running. And I've been, I've read that you're sometimes called Dr. Dino. Um, what, well, how does one go from your son discovering a dinosaur track? And I want to talk about that because I want to know what that felt like. Um, well, I was like, oh, yeah, could you tell me the story of, uh, the Tumblr Ridge Global Geopark, which is the only, the second UNESCO uh, site in North America, how did that how did that happen? Yeah, so if you really want to go back to the pivotal moment, yeah. it, it really was when Daniel um, and his friend Mark Daniel was eight, Mark was eleven, and uh, we were just out exploring. Um, we'd gone skiing up Flatbed Creek in the winter, and we'd seen some cool rock formations which we wanted to get to in the summer. So we hiked on some game trails to get there. And uh, they realized there would be some rapids there. So they took um, some tu uh, in a tube or two. And we just had a picnic. And the two of them went onto the river, onto the creek, got onto their tube, floated down the rapids. We kind of lost sight of them. Next thing, Linda and I know, they're running back to us. And they're just telling us, well, we found some dinosaur tracks. And at that stage, you know, we'd never dreamt there could be dinosaur tracks uh, in the Tumblr Ridge area, but we went, took us to what they'd found. And it, it looked pretty convincing, but, uh, you know, my first reaction was, let's approach this scientifically. And let's see, could there be something else that causes it to look like this? Can we be sure? Um, so I was being the healthy skeptic. I've, I've paid the price for that ever since. Because, you know, they they love getting mileage out of the fact that I wouldn't believe them, quote, unquote. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the healthy skepticism in this case was was not, it didn't go down too well. <laughs> but uh, we managed to get them in touch first with, uh, get the two boys in touch with Phil Curry and through Phil Curry with Rich McRae, who was Canada's dinosaur track expert. And they gave them some suggestions like, can we lift a rock off and see if there are more tracks underneath that rock, which we did. And yes, there were. And now we're getting more and more convinced that they're right. And uh, yeah, it was. So my interest in dinosaurs, there was no interest in fossils or dinosaurs up to that point. It all started then. And it really started with trying to give the kids the opportunity to make the most of their discovery because they'd made the discovery and where was it going to lead for them? Uh, it was really wonderful because Rich McRae came out the next year, um, confirmed the finds, found a dinosaur bone right next to the site and taught us what to look for. And within you know a few days or weeks after that, now we've got our eye in, we're finding dinosaur tracks everywhere. Every creek and canyon we go exploring and we're finding more dinosaur tracks and then we've got to bring Rich and his wife, Lisa, back to explore some more. And we did a dinosaur dig for the British Columbia's first dinosaur bones. Just one thing led to another. Next thing we're organizing, realizing, well, oh, yeah. So the interesting thing was at the time, we thought, okay, we're going to find these things. Then there's going to be some provincial museum or something's going to happen. The province is going to jump in and say, well, done. now it's, we're going to take over. And it was quite a a steep learning curve to realize that the BC province didn't at that stage have the, the, the resources, maybe the political will, whatever to do it. And, you know, there was some support, but essentially we realized we're on our own. <laughs> Either we do this or it doesn't happen. 
And so then we started raising funds and did BC's first dinosaur excavation, created a museum. One thing led to another. Next thing, we have a dinosaur discovery gallery. Uh, we got the old Claude Calibor School in Tumblr Ridge for, I think, $10 or some crazy price um, because people didn't know what to do with it. And we converted it into a museum. And it still is our museum. And then, again, one thing led to another. Um, Rich McRae and Lisa Buckley went to Turkmenistan at the invitation of UNESCO to evaluate uh, a, um, a, a site there for World Heritage uh, Site status. It had dinosaur tracks and things like that. And they came back saying, you know, there's a new thing. on. There's a new kid on the block, and it's called a UNESCO Global Geopark. And we spoke to some people and they think maybe Tumblr Ridge would be a good candidate. You know, these things, there are lots of them in Europe and in China. There, there's one in North America. You know, there's an imbalance. So wouldn't Tumblr Ridge be a good candidate? And so I heard that and I went and spoke with our mayor. And I said, his name was Darwin Wren. And I said, your worship, do you think this is something you'd like me to pursue? And he said, go for it. And that's how that started. And uh, we actually set the record, I think, for any global geopark in the world from from having the idea to getting the designation. It was two and a half years or something like that. Normally, it's 10 or 20 years. But we had such support from council and community and the regional districts and the province and it's just and we had the infrastructure already because we had a museum and because we had the Wolverine Nordic and Mountain Society with its trails so it was just the pieces were there we just had to put them together and now we we're a UNESCO site uh, which has been absolutely wonderful another one of those things is just such a pleasure to see how the initial dreams have become reality and you know that the museum and the geopark right now are just going from strength to strength. Visitor numbers are increasing all the time. And uh, it's, you know, we're becoming known for that. And, the, you know, the, the people have this idea. You, you'll, you'll get an idea, you'll run with it within a year or so, you'll have what you want. Not true. You, you're going to take 10, 20, maybe 30 years. It's like geological time, you know, Things happen incredibly slowly, but if you give it enough time, a lot of things happen. And it's the same here. You can't you can't do things in a hurry. You've got to be patient. And by patient, I mean 20, 30 years patient. Um, but so now we're seeing the fruits of really what started in the 90s and the 2000s. Well, and it sounds like um, just thinking about how we, with your it takes time and things, some really neat things there that start for me is, is one, you are excited for your son and your family like it was that you that was really neat for you to go hey you found it i'll support you what are we going to do next so it sounds like um it takes time but you also get you have a really neat team you get your your family gets to do things together you get to support them you get to learn um and it sounds like the community as a whole uh really worked together like that's really neat to you said there's different pieces and things sometimes it can be quite difficult to get those pieces together but it sounds like it's not just one one person might be leading the charge, but it sounds like, okay, that person also helps and this person also helps. It sounds like the whole community, like you mentioned, has really come to it. And uh, it sounds so neat. I'm, I'm curious at any point, because it also sounds very exhausting. Was there any like, is there ever a time that you got to be giddy and go, oh my gosh, we're now, we're the second UNESCO World Heritage Site or, or is it just kind of it all it all goes and you just wake up, not wake up one day? I guess what I'm saying is, did you ever have a chance or ever have a point where you were just overwhelmed with excitement? Or is it just, nope, we just take one step forward, one step forward, one step forward? Well, all of the above. It's one step forward, but I think we were overwhelmed with excitement every step of the journey. Um, I think maybe, you know, being a family doc... Um, helps or helped um, because you know everybody in town sooner or later everyone comes to see you and you hopefully get on well with them and do some good medical things for them and it, it just puts you in a position where because you know everybody you've got the connections um, so it's, I, I don't want to say I abused my position as a family physician but <laughs> but uh, it, it helped well and um, in our emails back and forth too, it's it's really neat. Your family is is quite incredible. Like they've done a lot of things to, uh, along this journey as well. 
Um, I just wanted to say thank you for that too, because you know, someone I, I don't live in, in Tumblr Ridge, but I know that when we bring people here to Fort St. John and they say, well, what do you, what do you do up here? We, we send them off to Tumblr and go, you should see the amazing things that those people have done. So congratulations to you and your, your family. I'm sure too, that a lot of the times co- good conversations happened over dinner or, or you said, Hey, what do you think? Like, it sounds like your family is also a big part of the organization too. Absolutely. And, you know, so, I mean, Linda and I have shared every step of the journey. Uh, we've got two kids, Daniel and Karina. They both now, you know, qualified and working in earth sciences, actually. <laughs> not not in paleontology, but in earth sciences. And uh, But they think of Tumblr Ridge as home. They're happy that they grew up here. They love coming back. And, you know, what, what more can you ask for as a parent than, than kids that enjoy coming back to their stamping ground? Very true. That's, oh, that is neat. Okay, I'm going to, speaking of family, um, like I know that I've looked up to you and, and that people have looked up to you both medically and also as an organizer. Um, have you had people that you've, you've looked up to for help or mentors here in North America or even abroad or anything? Are there people that you go, I'm not sure what to do. I'm going to ask this person. Well, in, in terms of the hiking, um, my late friend Don Nesbitt, he's the one that called me up and said, let's go exploring. And he had a good knowledge of the area already. You know, unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago. But I'll, I'll never forget Don just for getting me out there and making me realize, yeah, this I, I didn't have the wrong idea when we drove into town that first time. Um, Tunnel Ridge is very special. And here are all these lovely places we can go to. And then in terms of organization, the, the first uh, or the second president of the Wolverine Nordic and Mountain Society, Al Tattersall, my goodness, he was just such a go-getter. And we just left everything to him for organization in the beginning. And then finally, he left to go sailing around the world. And this is sort of mid-90s. And I realized, oh, my goodness, it's going to fall on my shoulders and a few shoulders of a few others. We can't depend on Al forever. And then just realizing, no, someone has to do it. And... Uh, here we are. We're we're working every day. Um, I'm on call one and two or one and three, so I can't get out of town that much. But that gives me when I'm on call and I haven't got an emergency to deal with, I've got downtime in which I can help with this organization. So Al was very instrumental there. In terms of dinosaurs, my goodness, Rich and Lisa, our paleontologists for the first 15 years here, they they really were my mentors. But I've had others um, elsewhere in North America and in South Africa with my research work there. And you have to have someone like that that you can look up to and uh, that you can run things by. And one is always so grateful to them. I think that's something as I'm growing a little bit older is I I always looked up to my my parents and my teachers and went, they know what they're doing. And now that students are like, you know what you're doing, right? I go, oh, no way. You, you never truly grow old enough that you don't have someone to ask. You always get to, you always don't know something. And it's, it's really neat to have someone to, to talk to. So, um, yeah, you're quite right. And I mean, ultimately, it does go back to one's own parents. You know, my mom and dad have both passed on, but I wouldn't be here doing the kind of things that I'm doing if they hadn't installed those values in the beginning. So if you go back to ground zero, it's got to start with your mom and dad. Well, uh, curious. So on that, when you say you wouldn't be doing the things you're doing, um, the gentleman who said, let's go, let's go exploring. Um, were you the kind of person who liked going out already? Or, or were you a bit nervous? You said you also had to learn how to, to make a uh, use a chainsaw. The first couple times you went out, um, what was that like? Were you tedious or not tedious, um, uh, d- nervous or shy at all? Or were you like, nope, I'm going to go into the woods feet first? I grew up in the mountains in South Africa, so I've always been a mountain person, loved hiking, loved mountains. It was just, it, it wasn't any being nervous here. It was just gratitude and amazement. I've landed in a place where I can work and have fun with my career and my family, and I can do this hiking, and I can explore, and we're finding new stuff, which is so cool. It was, my goodness, how can I be so lucky? Well, it's, you've also, you, you've got to be super lucky, and you, as you've mentioned, but the thing that makes us lucky is, is you put some of that knowledge into a book. Uh, I thought, I've read one of your books. I didn't realize that you've now authored six other books, including a children's book. I'm so very curious, um, how do you have time for all of these things? And, and what was it like to write a book as well? Well, no, I've loved the writing. Um, it was just, you know, it, it's a privilege that doesn't fall to many people to be able to come into an area like this, realize how wonderful it is, and then translate that into books to 
try and encourage other people to come and to spread the knowledge that one has assimilated. So it's it's a huge privilege. But again, you know, you I would be on call here as a family doc, one in two or one in three that's nights or weekends or whatever. And the call wasn't always that heavy, but you had to be on call. So there would be times when you, you know, you you can't go more than 10 minutes out of town because you've got to be around, but what you can do is right. And uh, so it was just a, um, a question of converting that downtime where you could just get bored or go and drink in the pub or whatever, you know, other things people might do. No, I'm going to write. And, uh, I couldn't believe it. After the, a year, I brought a little tiny book out, and within within a year, it was out of print. Said, well, it must be doing something right here. And then bigger books and bigger books. And look, I mean the the kids' book, which we call Daniel's Dinosaurs. It was the story of how Daniel had discovered those tracks with his friend. And uh, for anyone that wants to go into writing, I mean, kids' books is where it's all at. Um, I think, you know, the other books, there were print runs of about 3,000. They're almost all out of print by now. Um, but 3,000 in Canada apparently makes you a bestseller, whereas the kids' book was, I think, a print run of 15,000. That's also out of print now, but it just shows kids' books is where it all happens. Do Because uh, I'm assuming... Well, do people, does your son go, that's my book? Like, did he help you write it? Or did you base it, did you get to co-author it together? He doesn't want very much to do with the book. <laughs> no, he's, he, Daniel's totally moved on. He loves um, Pelly and, you know, he he loves the outdoors. He, he puts me and Linda to shame in terms of the things that he's doing, whether it's ice climbing or kayaking or all sorts of extreme backcountry skiing all extreme stuff, which makes us as parents very worried very often. But um, he is very content to leave the paleontology to me now. He's still got an incredible eye, uh, finds things, even though he's six foot six or something. He's We used to say he was finding all the tracks because he was so close to the ground, but that's no longer true. He's further from the ground than anyone else. Um, but he's still got a very good eye, as does our daughter. But you know they they haven't you know we, we gave them an opportunity to to thrive through that discovery and they did thrive and they've put it behind them now too they're not sort of trying to make mileage out of the book or the discovery or anything like that which is great they shouldn't and uh, it's it's been a good experience for everybody so they, they sound humble and, and wonderful I'm it would. Uh... Yeah, it, this is a really wonderful conversation. Thank you so far. Uh, I I do want to I want to make make sure that I'm respecting the privacy of your patients and things, because um, because the other thing you've mentioned a few times is you're yeah you're a family you're a doctor in a rural area, um, and I didn't know that you always wanted to be a, a rural doctor. Uh, what was that career? Are you are you are you retired now? Are you like are you just on? What's it like to be a rural doctor? Is what I'm trying to ask. Sure. So I'm, I'm semi-retired now. I've got my hand in a few things still, and I'm involved quite a bit with the kind of the administration of doctors and getting doctors together in the region. It's called the Division of Family Practice. Um, so I'm still very involved in that and really, really enjoying that. But no, Tumblr Ridge for 30 years of my life was a dream job. And uh, I, you know, for the Emperor's Challenge, the, our motto is rise to the challenge. So if you're in Tumblr Ridge, you have to rise to the challenge of being a doc um, with a two or three or some very occasionally four of you. And you don't have that much help and you've got to make it work and you have to earn the, uh, you know, the respect and the love of your patients, um, one patient at a time. <laughs> and uh no, it was it was a dream job, and I'm just so lucky to have been able to work in a place like this. I do remember when I'd been here about five years, there, a rumor started going around, which I heard about, which was that uh, there must be something wrong with Dr. Helm. He probably didn't pass all his exams, or he's in trouble with the college, and he's being punished by being made to work in Tumblr Ridge, because all the other doctors we've ever had have been here for a few years, and then they've moved down to the lower mainland. And he and his family, they're still here. There must be something wrong. Uh, so this, the notion that we actually are here because we want to be here and we're going to be here forever, that took quite a, a bit of time uh, to be accepted or to be understood by the good residents of Tumblr Ridge. And the funny thing is now, you know, in the last few years, I've semi-retired and people still haven't learned because I still 
we get asked, um, so where are you moving to now that you've retired? And the, the notion, well, no, Tumbler Ridge is home. We have absolutely no plans to move because this is where we want to be. You know, so they're having to learn that all over again. The Helms like Tumbler Ridge. It's, uh, it's funny is that my, my parents have retired and they get much the same question. They go, oh, you're tired. Okay, where are you leaving? And when my parents say, well, our family, like our friends are here. This is, we like this place. It's fun because, yeah, everybody goes, are you, sh- are you sure you've been put up to this? So it's, it's nice to hear that it's not just my parents who are the strange ones. It's a, it's a great breed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I have, uh, I, I also noticed um, you've, you're, you're very busy. You're all over the place. Um, you're also an academic. I don't want to put you on the spot there as well. Congratulations. You're doing lots in, the, in, in that world. Would you like to talk a little bit about it, your, your, your work there, or go, you know what, hey, that's coming up later, I can talk about it? Do you have time to talk about your, your work in other places? Well, yeah, and I, I mean, we, we, well, I am, Linda's from Saskatchewan. I'm from um, the Western Cape in South Africa, the Cape Town area, and grew up 400 kilometers east of Cape Town in an area with some interesting looking rocks. And I learned my, my trade, as it were, here with uh, dinosaur tracks and other um, fossils and traces. And every year we try and take our kids back to South Africa so they can learn where I came from and get a bit of South Africa in them. And we just began to realize, hang on, there are all these tracks in the rocks that I grew up in as well. And nobody really seems to be doing very much about them. And that became an annual passion and it's become very much the focus of our lives right now. We go back for three months a year and we research what's happening completely different age. Um, Here in Tumble Ridge, it's Cretaceous, about a hundred million years there in South Africa, it's Pleistocene. So it's about 130,000 years. So much, much younger, but then you get, my goodness, that's where as human beings, we started our journey right there and the amazing thing is that so our ancestors there were walking on these dunes and beaches which are now cemented into rock so we can see in the rock where they walk you know we can see their trackways we and not just their tracks we can see what they did they drew things on the sand and so this is before anyone had ever thought of rock art there was a thing called sand art and we've discovered that um this is the oldest art in the world and we are documenting that and publishing on it. Um, so, and these are the rocks that I grew up with, which I hadn't seen properly. With, with you know, once you, your eyes in, you can see things that you would have missed before. So again, what? How, how lucky can one get that uh, you can go back to your the place you grew up and find things like that? You know, anyone I think that's left South Africa. And there are many of us in Canada, especially many family, rural family doctors, you know, we all feel that um, twinge of homesickness. Um, but I have certainly managed to deal with that by researching. It's like every day I'm spending six hours of my life writing and publishing on things from Southern Africa. Um, so I've truly got the best of both worlds. And, you know, what goes around comes around. The more I learn about those tracks there, um, the more I can apply that to Tumblr Ridge now and our tracks here where, you know, just uh, in the last couple of years, just as an example, we just have discovered the swim traces of these giant crocodiles, you know, so we try to get people away from the idea. It's all about dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are very cool, but in many times in this part of the world, the giant crocs were the top predators. And we're talking about up to 13 meters long. So the longest Biggest crocodile today is, you know, saltwater crocodile in Australia, six meters long. And we've got evidence that the biggest of them were up to 13 meters long. And it's the first place in the world where this kind of evidence has been found. And again, knowing what crocodile swim traces look like, because these are some of them are tracks, but most of them, they're kind of swimming and they're scraping the bottom of the little lake or channel with their claws. And then from the distance between the claws, you can work out how long the crocodile is. So I know I now know what those look like. So I go back to South Africa. Oh, my goodness, we've got crocodile swim traces here too. But no one in, in Southern Africa knows what these look like or in Africa knows what these look like. So they've missed them. So now we've got you know, evidence of uh, crocodiles in Southern Africa way further south than where they occur today because crocs need 
warm temperatures and warm water, etc. And it just shows those were the ice ages, but there were these little interludes in the ice ages when it was pretty darn warm. And crocs made use of it and spread south at the time. And I guess they had to move back up north when the, the next ice age came. But, uh, yeah, things like that and what we're busy with now. I mean, everybody loves elephants. And um, we've got about 35 track sites, you know, with elephant tracks. And elephants are like whales. You know, everyone knows that whales can communicate over huge distances underwater. Elephants can do something similar. They rumble in their throat, and then the rumble travels down their legs into the ground, and it travels underground, and they can communicate five or ten meter, uh, kilometers with other elephants by doing this. So that, that's well known. We haven't discovered that. I mean, that's well published. But what we're finding, when they do that, they leave a trace fossil signature. We can see in the rock where they rumbled and where they communicated underground. And no one ever thought that would occur before. But that's what we're finding. We're publishing on that at the moment. So that research in, in South Africa has just taken, you know, it's it's not just, it's, an, it's not an esoteric, arcane field of research. You know, I can talk to you. I can talk to anybody in Tumblr Ridge about it and strike up a good conversation because, you know, not that long ago we had mammoths here where we are now. We've got a beautiful mammoth tusk um, in our museum here, which actually came from Taylor. Um, so, yeah, elephants are kind of common currency. You can talk to anybody about elephants and we love it. Yeah. It's kind of amazing because we would think, OK, South Africa is almost literally on the other side of the world, but we are connected in many more ways. Like, it's really it's amazing to hear you say, OK, uh, you know, we're linked by by the the method. OK, I, I can use what I learned in Tumblr down in, in South Africa, South Africa back here. But also there's there's more there's a lot of links. We are closer in many ways than we uh, than we really thought. That's and kind of cool that you can go from one place to the next and have similar conversations. It just kind of shows that no matter where you are in the world, we're 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 more alike than we think we are. We are, and and South Africa is pretty famous as the place where the coelacanth was not not, not going to use the word discovered, but people thought that the coelacanth is this ancient type of fish that everyone thought had gone extinct sixty five million years ago, along with the dinosaurs, and then in the nineteen thirties, a, um, a recently dead uh, coelacanth was found off the coast of South Africa, and then they found a live one. And we now know they, they come, come south from the Comoros Islands and things like that. But South Africa is globally famous as the place where coelacanths were found not to be extinct. It was called the living fossil. So every you know, honorable South African is rightly proud of the fact that South Africa found the coelacanths. And then here in Tumblr Ridge, well, first of all, we go into the mountains. There are loads of coelacanth fossils here from the Triassic. They're about 200 million years old. So we've got lots of coelacanths. And then, believe it or not, here we discover um, five or six specimens, the only specimens in the world, of a whole different family, subfamily of coelacanth, which has rewritten coelacanth history across the planet because everyone thought, oh, they were all the same. They never changed. Uh, here we've got this. Diff so most of them are ambush predators, the, the typical coelacanth. They just wait and then something comes by and they snap it. And here we've got this thing with this powerful forked tail. It's definitely a coelacanth. There's no doubt about that. But it was chasing after other fish and catching them and behaving very differently. So we brought the right scientists in, and we've got a whole new subfamily, new genus, new species, everything. So just another example of how South Africa, Canada, there are so many connections. And But, I mean, the connection that's probably the most important is not in terms of fossils, but it's of how South African doctors just love coming to rural Canada. And there's so many parts of rural British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, that really, you know, South Africans have just taken hold. And it's not that, yeah, it, they've just done so well with the local population because we've got a we've got um, a lot of rural areas in South Africa too where these docks have probably come from. And, you know, it was such a privilege for me to go into rural Canada and also to work with rural First Nations. You know, I wish we had more First Nations close to Tumblr Ridge, but um, just it's, it was, it's just been one of those privileges is to learn so much from First Nations. You, you've mentioned the Geopark, for example. So 
in developing um, the how to market and how to work on the geopark. I've worked so closely with First Nations and learned about culture and lifestyle and ways of seeing and have incorporated this into what we call the Health in Geoparks project. So how to be healthy in Tumblr Ridge using a First Nations lens, largely an indigenous lens. And what we can now do, there are 150 or so geopark, global geoparks across the world operated by UNESCO. So we now go to all of those global geoparks and we say, here's how you can incorporate health into geoparks because you know, it's one thing to have a geopark. It's another thing to say, well, how do we want to live in this geopark? How do we want to relate to the land? How can we be truly healthy? And so, yeah, the bottom line here is that Tumblr Ridge punches above its weight. We're a little place of 2,500 people. But for an example here with the Health in Geoparks project, we have the capacity to influence the entire world, you know, in terms of uh, how, to, how to be healthy. Uh, what luck is that? When I'm, so this is really neat because I'm something that I, I was going to ask you about is, so so Tumblr Ridge, this, this little jewel. Um, you hearing you talk about Tumblr Ridge, hearing you talk about South Africa, it's really neat because sometimes when people find treasures, they like to go, okay, no one, this is my little part of the world. I'm not going to tell anybody. It's obvious how proud you are of the place, of the people of the the things that people are discovering. Same within South Africa, uh, you're very excited about the work. Um, and what's even more neat is hearing you say, oh, I like, we're all do it. Like, look at this person, look at that. Um, is that a conscious effort or is something that comes to you? Because you, you celebrate what you find and then you give it out to the world and go, this is so cool. Come join it. Is that something that has always just been part of your nature? Or is that something that you were like, no, someone taught me how to do that? I don't think anyone taught anyone how to do that. It, if it is part of one's nature, I'm grateful for it. But it just seems such a natural thing to do. But I, I have to disillusion you as well that, you know, we have about 80 or 90 dinosaur track sites in the Tumblr Ridge area. We've opened two of them to tourists, to, to, to guided tours. Um, and th th those tours go very well, but both of those sites have been vandalized. That's the point. You know, so the, the great majority of people just love what we do. They love coming here. They love learning. They love being out there with the dinosaur tracks. And then it's just, there's, you know, the one in 10,000 that, no, they can't do that. They have to try and take it or take a, a rock saw and cut it out or try and make a cast which messes it up and destroys the tracks, you know. just But the problem is that it just takes one. So we, we unfortunately, we haven't been able to open every site to tourism because you can't. And... You know, you also know that these sites are only there for so long. They're going to go. The flood's going to take them away, and it'll expose other ones. But uh, nothing is permanent here. So you're just grateful for what you've got for while it's there. And sooner or later, it's going to go, and hopefully something else will show up in this place. There's a wonderful wisdom to that. That's. Uh, thank you, too, also, because on that note, if you're, you're right. Okay, we got to protect what we have. Um, th this is kind of a shout-out to your healthy skepticism before. You, you recognize that there is something valuable here. You take steps to protect it, so that way we can we can study it, we can celebrate it, we can keep it in the state that it's in. Um, yeah, that's. It sounds like your. Sounds like you have a good team saying, "How can we celebrate it? How can we promote it? And how can we keep it safe at the same time?" Which takes a lot of sound minds to do. Um, wow, I I didn't know there was like eighty tracks or things. I, I don't want to know where they are at all. But like that's this. It's like it sounds like you just walk around and you might bump into one almost. Well, now you, you have to know what you're doing, but my I once had a, um, a medical student, or I think he was a resident at the time, and he was here. We got on very well together, and he was interested. He was more interested in fishing, I think, than in dinosaur tracks, but I persuaded him that dino tracks were cool as well. <laughs> and I, I, I did tell him that there's a very fine tradition for doctors that a Wednesday afternoon you try and take off. You have one afternoon a week off where you just forget about things. And so we just looked at a map, and a geological map, and we worked out a place to go where I didn't think anyone had gone before, and I said there could be dinosaur tracks here. And it was an afternoon in Tumblr Ridge, and we drove a while, and we got onto our bicycles and found an old exploration road to follow, found the canyon, went up the canyon, didn't find too much, then got to the top end, and my goodness, there's this amazing dinosaur track site, which no one has ever seen before. 
And, um, oh, yeah, then he got stung by about 11 yellow jackets. That was a bad moment. Um, and we, I was scared we were going to lose him. But pretty soon after that, he said he wanted to fish again, which was a good sign. But uh, and, he, and we caught some fish, and then we came back to town um, about five hours after leaving. And I just thought, my goodness, you know. So since then, we've published on that paper because it's got the first pterosaur tracks in British Columbia. I mean, pterosaurs are the flying reptiles. Dinosaurs were on the land. These were pterosaurs and giant birds, the biggest bird tracks ever found in North America, um, you know, and uh, a cool kind of dinosaur, all on the same track site. So we discovered that thing. We've now published on it. And we fished, and we got good exercise and cycled, and we came back, and I reported back to our paleontologists. This all happened in one afternoon. You know, so there are so many um, fossil sites, for example, up in the Arctic or wherever. You've got to plan an expedition. of like, It's your entire summer that's going to go on doing something like this. And this here in Little Tumber Ridge, on a Wednesday afternoon. Well, and this is the, 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 the crazy thing is that some of these stories that you're telling me, like you, you got to see a dinosaur track for the first time that no one had seen before. You are working some of the, with these amazing paleontologists. You um, are getting to to see some some discoveries that are are, are quite earth shaking. Uh, I'm curious, has there been a moment or a few moments that have just made you stop and go, "Wow, this is where I am"? Uh, like, has have there been those moments along the way? Well, all the time. I mean, every every time you 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 find. Uh, a dinosaur track, for example, and you know that no one has seen this before. You, you, it's been, it was made a hundred million years ago. It has probably been re-exposed within the last few decades or centuries, but no one's seen it before. You are, you're the first human to see this. You're going to interpret, you're going to try and write it up, publish on it. There's, there's an, there's a wild factor to that. You know, how the, it's it's overwhelming, really, every time you see these things. And every every time you just got to be grateful that you are kind of witnessing a miracle of preservation. Because, um, I mean, these dinosaurs would have made, you know, in, in a lifetime, hundreds of thousands of tracks, if not millions. And very few of them get preserved. And you have to have your eye in. You have to know what you're looking for. And all of a sudden, things just come together, and there it is. And that's an amazing moment. But, you know... I guess that's the the moral of the story here is that in in Little Tumbler Ridge there are so many of those amazing moments. Speaking of moments, and this question is, off, and you can say I'll I'll think about it and get back to you. You've got some really neat perspectives. I mean, you're looking at tracks that are millions of, of years old. You're looking at uh, tracks that are hundreds of thousands of years old. And then, as a family doctor, you're also looking at the here and now, right now. Um, your perspective of time must be a little different than other people's because you can see spans of, of millennia and spans of seconds. That must be an interesting, yeah, you must have an interesting look at time. H has this work made you look at history or, or just how time passes any differently? Well, it, it's a funny question, but I actually, I just, no one's asked me that question before, so I'm thinking this out as I'm answering you. But I think that having the perspective of geological time and, um, as you say, millions of years, hundreds of thousands of years, knowing what's happened in Canada in recent centuries with um, the arrival of, of settlers, etc., having this respect for the indigenous community, and as you say... <laughs> living in Tumblr Ridge for 30 years, recognizing that things take time, even though 30 years might is nothing in geological time, it's everything in terms of trying to build a museum and a geopark. Um, I, I, I think the, the awareness of deep time actually helps one in the present, if, if that makes sense. Um, you know, especially with our indigenous um, friends who, you know, their ancestors, they basically had to go from pretty close to hunter-gatherer um, lifestyle, um, subsistence lifestyle, to being colonized and developing all these, these Western ways uh, or being influenced by these Western ways almost overnight. Again, in geological time, in a, it's in a second that that had to happen. Whereas the colonizers you know, had had centuries and, and millennia 
in which to develop their skills and their knowledge base, etc. So, you know, I look at that from that from the perspective of deep time, and I say, wow, you know, firstly, we all know the things that went wrong, but it's there's an opportunity there as well, just to see things from this perspective. I mean, right now, I'm actually working with the First Nations in terms of their understanding of dinosaur tracks, because that's with the elders, and we're going to lose that if if we don't document it soon. Um, but there are different ways of seeing. So, you know, what did, the, what did the indigenous populations, how did they, they saw, they were very smart. They knew that there were these tracks in the Peace Canyon, for example, under, under where the um, dinosaur lake is right now. They clearly knew there, there were tracks there of these great beasts. And you talk to them and there was this, this uh, philosophy of, well, there was a previous time when the animals were giants, etc. No one has documented that in the peace region. And these things are conspicuous. I can also point out that the, the biggest marine reptile ever known comes from Pink Mountain, north of Fort St. John. It's in the Tyrell Museum. It's a Shonosaurus. It's this pretty close to the size of a blue whale. Um, so a massive marine reptile. Our indigenous friends, were their ancestors, were aware of those, those things as well. And this needs to be documented. I, I feel it needs to be documented. Um, and I'm just hoping we get it right um, because this is, this is very precious information. So I've given you a very long-winded answer to, to an back. interesting question. But I, think, I think it is relevant. Well, and it's, it's neat to, to get a perspective. Sometimes, especially right now, we think about, okay, time's moving so fast. So to have someone go, hold on, let's look at this in the grand scheme of things and, and make sure that, you know, let's, let's examine it from, let's have a healthy skepticism and make sure we get it right is, is a wise thing. So um, I, I know that our, our time is getting short on this side. So I just want to, I do want to say, I, I've got a, a little bit of a thing here. It says you've created the provinces, one of the most provinces, uh, popular races. You've helped make Tumbler Ridge a dinosaur haven with the Tumbler Ridge Museum and the Tumbler Ridge Global Geopark. You've you've been an incredible doctor. You were named the Rural Family Position of the Year um, in 2016. You've raised a family. Uh, my curious question is, what's next for you, uh, Charles? What's next is more of the same, and and, and hopefully hopefully a lot more of the same. You know, it's. Um, None of these things you've mentioned, I mean, first, we're just privileged um, to have been part of a, a team that's trying to get these things right. And especially in 2000, when there were, we had that team of just dedicated people, didn't want to their community to disappear. Um, you know, I've, I just take my hat off to every single one of them. And not that just, that just that we had the passion, but they actually succeeded, you know, against pr pretty much against the odds. Um, so, no, we just, Linda and I, we're so happy with what every day when we go skiing with friends. Um, and, yeah, you know, there's this, almost every meeting you go to these days, there's a land acknowledgement, which is wonderful. But what I think, you know, when I'm out there and I am just go for a ski to Flatbed Falls and I come to a waterfall or I get to the dinosaur tracks, that's really when every one of us should be doing a personal land acknowledgement at, at we the guests here and what a privilege it is to be here. And uh, so I, there's no change in course uh, that we are setting. We're just privileged and happy to be doing what we're doing and would love to carry on as long as our health uh, lets us do that. I'm, I'm excited that you're, you said that. I, I, I want to also recognize that I hope you get rest um, and that you get to relax, but it also sounds like part of your battery recharging is going out and doing the things you love. So thank you very much for that. And thank you for the time. Um, is there anything that I have missed, any people that we should recognize or, or, or anything that you'd like to mention before we go? No, I mean, there are too many people to mention them individually. Once you start mentioning people, you, 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 you know, you offend people by leaving them out. But no, I mean, for me, it's the family is central and crucial and uh, just been lovely to, to bring up a family here. You know, of all the things you've said, everything's important. Um, museums and geoparks and hiking trails and everything. But family is crucial and family is central. That's where it all starts. So, yeah. Uh, and. A big, yeah, your family. I've loved how you you referenced your your, your wife and your kids. Um, it sounds, yeah, you've got a. a you're, we're very lucky to have you and your family 
in the piece and we're very I'm very lucky to have got to talk to you for the last hour. I do also want to say, um, are there the the Tumblr Ridge Museum and the UNESCO, the the, the global the the site? Are there things that people can do to support the museum and things to make sure that you know over the next X amount of years that, that continues we get to have these things? Are there places that people should go or websites or things like that? Well, I mean, any support is always appreciated and valuable. But I think the most important thing people can do is just to come here and and be entranced by it. Because, you know, if you, I mean, we, I'm now, I'm using the museum and the geopark as hooks to attract other doctors to come and work here and health professionals, for example. I'm saying to them, you're going to come here. It's a different place you're coming to. It's not like, you know, every other small town in Canada. There's something very special and unique happening here. So... I would just the, the more people that can come here and enjoy the magic that that's really what what counts you know at the moment the museum and the geopark are doing but they're both doing reasonably well in terms of funding and so on um uh, by all means they, they've got lovely ge- um, websites and all sorts of things you can do from home but more than anything just come here and enjoy well thank you dr helm or charles you were very I asked for those who are tuning in, I said, What do I call you? And you you were very kind. I said, just call me Charles. So thank you, Charles. I've really appreciated it. Uh yeah, if you stick around, I'll chat with you a little bit after, but thank you again. And uh thank you to everyone who's tuned in. This has been a wonderful season of Voices of the Peace. Thank you to our backstage team. That's Adam Rayburn and all the crew at Energetic City. They've made sure this can happen. And again, thank you to Urban Systems as well and to Blue Wave Energy. My name is Ted Sloan. It's been such a wonderful thing to be with you. We'll talk to you guys next season. Thanks for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.